1: If you are anything like me, this song has been fully stuck in your head for the past month and a half. <laughs>
2: hey, hey, hey! It's us, girls five ever. Forever, we're gonna be famous for 100 years. Cause it's like five more than a hundred. All we know is we're gonna make, make this count. count. <laughs> gonna be famous.
1: This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast and I am thrilled to welcome Busy Phillips as my guest this week. You might know Busy from Freaks and Geeks or Dawson's Creek, Cougar Town, or her insanely popular Instagram. Now she's starring in one of my absolute favorite new shows, Girls 5 Eva, which, thank the Lord, just got renewed for a second season on Peacock. Alongside Sarah Bareilles, Renee Elise Goldsberry, and Paula Pell, Busy is one-fourth of the greatest 90s girl group that never was in this hilarious show created by Meredith Scardino and produced by Tina Fey and Robert Carlock. If you loved 30 Rock as much as I did, you too will be obsessed with Girls 5 Eva. Busy and I talk about how her remarkable and unpredictable career led her to this moment. And yes, we get into everything from that time James Franco got violent with her on the set of Freaks and Geeks, to her prematurely canceled late night show, and everything in between. Before we get to that interview, you may or may not have noticed that the last several episodes of this podcast were recorded a few weeks in advance. That's because I've been on parental leave since early May, after my wife and I welcomed our baby daughter to the world last month. So if I sound a little more sleep-deprived than usual where you occasionally hear some faint crying in the background, that's why. All right, enough about me. Let's go to my conversation with the delightful Busy Phillips. It's exciting that we're talking on uh, just after the, the news about season two.
2: I know. Thank God, right?
1: Yeah, I was. I don't know what they were waiting for.
2: What were they waiting for?
1: Oh, that was better. Yeah, you're, I should have had that. One ready to go.
2: <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. That's why I'm here.
1: Yeah. That's a, that's like a reflex for you now to always replace a four totally out of five. Yeah.
2: Or or like a three with a two with a three. Yeah, Just yeah. all of any nonsense <laughs> is yeah.
1: Um, so yeah, I mean, what, what were you what was your reaction to the to the news that that you're officially gonna be able to return to this uh this great show?
2: Look, I've been pretty clear impressed that I've done that, you know, obviously I'm like have been doing this for a long time. And I didn't even really particularly want to act much anymore. That's a fact. And I wasn't really taking many acting jobs. I certainly wasn't auditioning for anything. And when Tina called and told me what this show was, and then also prefaced it by saying, I know you keep saying you don't want to act, but Meredith wrote this show and we've always thought of you for this character. And you know, because of COVID, I wasn't even going to bring it up to you, but you're Here, you're in New York, and you're do you want to just stay and do it? And then pitched me the show. It's about, you know, a 90s girl group who were kind of a one hit wonder. And then they get sampled by a current artist and they kind of are they try to make a comeback in their 40s. And we got Sarah Borellis already and Renee Elise Goldsberry. And I like, I
1: sounds made up when you, uh, you know, lay it all out like that.
2: (laughs) It sounds like a bit she was doing to me on one of her own shows. But so obviously I was like, this is a dream. And then the experience itself, while it certainly was the hardest job I've ever done logistically because we shot during COVID, but also on top of that and and the COVID protocols, you know, Universal did a great job. I, in my opinion, not that I was on so many sets, but just in my experience, our protocols were, very thorough, and I think they handled it great. But it limited the amount of time that you could be on set. It limited the amount of time you could spend. I don't know, learning songs and dance numbers, <laughs> and then, like, and even the choreography. A lot of times had to be just sent to us over video because we weren't. There were no rehearsal spaces we could go to. It was hard. Like, I do think that. I'm hopeful that some of the restrictions may be, well, obviously you never know every day is a new.
1: Yeah, but it could be, it could be a (laughs) a more relaxed experience uh, in season two, hopefully. Or
2: just like, we might just get more time to do it. But also that all of that being said, what I was trying to get at is that it was the best, most joyful, uh, most fun I've ever had on a set. And I just felt like overwhelmed with gratitude every day that I got to walk on to that set.
1: Yeah, it's just, it's such a funny show. And it's it really just yeah. kind of, I love how it just kind of came out of nowhere. I feel like it got announced <laughs> only like a few weeks before it started airing. And then, you know, it was just like, it, yeah, it was, but it was very exciting. And I think it really did, you know, I think most of the reviews say this, but that it really did capture that 30 Rock spirit in the way that sort of nothing else has yet.
2: Oh, that's lovely. I mean, in an interesting way, you know, Meredith Scardino, who is truly a wild genius, she does have, you know, a tendency. She is she is Tina-like in her sensibility, and obviously they've worked together so closely for so many years. But it's interesting, like, Sarah Bareilles is, her character Dawn is sort of almost like the proxy for Meredith. Right. But to me, I was always like, Dawn feels a little Liz Lemon to me, you know, like it does feel there is a sort of interchangeable.
1: Yeah. And just the New Yorkness of it is so great. And just how, how much it captures of what it's like to, to live in New York, um, I think was, was really strong. Something
2: yeah. I'm new, <laughs> new to, but yeah, sure. Yeah. Now I mean, the
1: show's going to get funnier for you now, the more you <laughs> live in New York.
2: I'm like, oh, now I get these jokes. No, I mean, New York Lonely Boy is truly oh one of my favorite bits yeah. that's ever been on any show. Like, I'm obsessed with it. I yeah, love it me so too. Yeah. much.
1: I'm really interested. I've been listening to your podcast a lot and really enjoyed, especially all your conversations with your co-stars on the show, which was really fun. And you always talk about pivots with everyone. And it's interesting, you, t- you mentioned, you know, that you had kind of considered Quitting acting before this show, so I, I would love to hear more about that and sort of where, where your head was at and why you were really considering, you know, stepping away from from acting.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, I think that the the idea of of have have being forced to pivot or choosing to pivot or being open to different paths is is something that always has interested me in large part, just because of what. I do. And the fact that I did feel like I sort of hit the end of the road creatively, I really struggled with this industry and the systems in place and and so many things that just felt fundamentally stacked against me from the beginning. And so, you know, when I think probably my first pivot uh, was Turning to Instagram and Instagram stories and and doing it in a way that, you know, it was brand new at the time. And and I sort of just was using it in the way that I wanted to use it. And I mean, at it now is like kind of it's just like how everybody uses it. But um (laughs) But at the (laughs) time it was pioneer, yeah. I well I was. Let's just be real. There was a New York, there was a New Yorker (laughs) article written about it. Okay. Like that. I just, you know what I mean? (laughs) But, But at the time I did have friends in the industry in Hollywood who were like, what are you doing? You're going to ruin your career.
1: Because you were putting too much of yourself out there or what? Because will- I
2: was putting a lot of myself out there because yeah, too much of myself. And I was kind of just being, yeah, I think that, yeah, it it felt in that moment. I mean, it's so funny, like how fast everything moves. This was like six years ago, only six and a half years ago. But it felt, yeah, I, I, a lot of friends were like, what are you, what is, why are you doing that? <laughs> that is, it's weird. Like, so it why felt were, so like, why it were felt you doing like it? It felt like beneath, it like felt like, to be honest, I think people thought it felt beneath like a legitimate actor or performer or, you know, it was like YouTube personalities were their own thing. People who are like vlogging or doing, I don't even know if Vine was yeah vine was around right yeah it had it had just well, anyway uh, but th- that was like a whole separate non-legitimate entity as far as like people in the entertainment industry were concerned you know and especially like actors and i, I just feel like there was a lot of shade yeah. and <laughs> well, there,
1: are, there are certain kind of actors who are not on social media at all and they don't feel like they need to be and they oh, just well, my like... best
2: friend michelle williams is like yeah. it's never happening like that's not but by the way, do you think that's
1: just because she's at a certain level and she's like, I don't need it? Or
2: no, I think she, no, I think she, see, there's the construction. I think <laughs> she, uh, I, I can't speak for her, but, but she definitely loves to look at it. <laughs> she looks at yeah, other people. But she's just like, I don't need to put myself out there. I think it's not way. even about putting herself out there. I think it's just like, it's so far from the thing that she, she's talked about it before. Like she, When we were young, very young, on Dawson's Creek, she had sort of like a very bad experience with social media. I think we talked about this when we did that Entertainment Weekly reunion, like the Dawson's Creek reunion. She like found online there was some club called like, I don't know, We Hate Jen Limley or something like something that was like so mean to an impressionable young yeah that, actor. Probably, that probably turned
1: her off from yeah, social media. And, uh, yes, internet. and I think she
2: like literally was like, "Yeah, no, this is not good for my mental health and well-being." Bye, like I'm never doing this again. And then at this point, I think it's just like, "Why would she?" You know. But for me, I was bored largely. I mean, bored. And um, because like, you so weren't getting
1: the the jobs that you that you wanted to be getting, or or
2: I don't even know if that. I mean. I, but the jobs didn't exist, Matt. Like, mm-hmm. I don't even know what you're talking yeah. about. The yeah. jobs, I wasn't getting the jobs. It's like, what, what jobs? Like, oh, the three, three lines, like as Jen Garner's best friend and somebody, like, come <laughs> yeah. on. Yeah. What are we talking about? So, anyway, enter Instagram. I was bored and feeling sort of adrift and not knowing what I wanted to do. And the stories and turning camera on myself and making it sort of like a my own little show every day was so fun for me. And and then people really started to pay attention. And then it opened up other, you know, revenue streams, which nobody saw coming.
1: Truly. yeah. Well, I mean, and it led to your your talk show Busy Tonight, um, which I, I'm sure you you couldn't have imagined that that was a possibility when you started doing that that would come out of the Instagram stories.
2: No, I got a book deal. Come on. I got a like, I got many brand deals. I got a book deal. And then it sort of hit me that I, that I, yeah, I really did want to do a talk show, a late night talk show. And it was suggested to me a couple of times that maybe I should do a daytime talk show. (laughs) And again, I get that itch inside my brain and my heart. And I'm like, well, sure, I could do that. I bet I could do that. Also, why are the women relegated to a daytime talk? What the fuck? Like, no one's, we're not like in the fifties anymore. People aren't like, women aren't home folding the laundry and like watching stories. Like what the, what is happening? Catch up. And I called Tina.
1: So you, you really, you were determined, you were determined to do a late night, to do it as a late night talk show.
2: I was determined not only to do it as a late night talk show. I was determined to do more than one night a week. I was insistent that the only way I would do it is if I got four or five nights a week.
1: Do you feel in retrospect like that was the uh that it was that was the right decision to to do it four or five oh, times a week? 100%. And, yeah.
2: Yeah. I'm so glad we did. First of all, we just like the learning curve was was so sharp. I think that what we account- I think that like we don't get credit for it and that's fine. I don't particularly care at this point. But I think that what we actually managed to accomplish in a relatively insanely short period of time was pretty spectacular, given all factors considered. That we had basically, I mean, less than, uh, I mean, one ten. We had like one tenth of a budget of anyone else's show weekly or nightly. We only had three writers. <laughs> we had producers who. Like, had never really done it before because I we were determined Casey St. Ange is like the greatest human of all time, and
1: yeah, and you're your co host on your podcast,
2: co host on my podcast. But she was my showrunner on Busy Tonight, and um, she'd worked in late night since her very early days of being David Letterman's assistant 20 plus years ago, whatever. Had worked for Rosie O'Donnell, had been a writer on. Rosie O'Donnell show and then was at Watch What Happens Live for like a, almost a decade, I think. And she just is, I don't, I don't even know how to describe how what a wonderful human and thoughtful, smart, forward-thinking person she is. But she is all of those things. And when we were doing our hiring, it was just obviously very important for us to have lots of diversity and then also lots of women like female voices and producers and i mean all you know camera people all across the board but you know a lot of times people would come in and they didn't really have the thing on their resume but they were enthusiastic and smart and you could and sharp and funny and you could see that they were excited about the possibility and that they wanted to learn and it was just like well yeah obviously we It's not. This is a thing. Like this is what the gatekeepers in this industry, like, always have tried to impart to others, is that it's somehow like brain surgery or rocket science. You're just making television. And if people are like, "Well, we didn't. I didn't like your show. You made bad television," I would say, "Well, I didn't make it for you, then. I guess." But the people that I did make it for loved it.
1: Yeah. Well, I think also I think the biggest thing with these with your late night show, and I've I've covered late night TV for a long time, and the. Women who have gotten a chance to make a show in the past, you know, five, ten years, whether it's you or Michelle Wolf, Robin Thede, you know, there's a bunch of them, just have never been given the runway, the the opportunity to, you know, keep going in the way that someone looking back at, you know, someone like Jimmy Kimmel or Conan O'Brien,
2: watching Conan flop sweat for seven years, come on, they
1: they just were sort of given chance after chance, and like, thank God, because they ended up, you know, having great shows. But but it's just, it's not at all the same. And I don't know why that is. Oh, you don't? <laughs> well, you, you
2: tell me. Well, Matt, I mean, let's, you know, be real. I it's These systems have been put in place to uphold other systems that have been put in place. And we're all a part of the system. And we can try to chip away as much as, as possible. And I think that great strides have been made in the last... Few years, I think that we have a ways to go in terms of things, not just like an entry prize or like a thanks for, like a thanks for, sh- thanks for trying, thanks for playing. You know, I was surprised, I have to be honest, I was surprised when uh, Corden got that job. I thought for sure they were gonna talk to get a woman to. Step in. I mean, yeah, of the course,
1: fact that it was yet another white man was definitely surprising at that time.
2: It's it's it almost seems like, and then you're like, oh, Les Moonvez is the head of the network. And then you're like, oh, right. Okay. And then you look at all the shareholders. And then you look at the people that they're answering to. And you know what they look like? They all look like white men. One of my favorite reviews that I read of Busy Tonight, Casey and I should have it framed because we love it, was from a man. Who said that the show was baffling? My show was baffling, and it must be baffling to for the first <laughs> time in your career watch this was, something. This was a negative that, review. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't tailor made to you and your fucking experience in life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just think that more shows should be fucking baffling.
1: <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know. Yeah. No, I, you're you're right, and I think it, in a way it, it does. All of this experience that you're talking about relates to girls five ever in a way, because it's about these, you know, four women who are in their forties and getting this sort of second chance to, to do something in a way that they weren't allowed to 20 years ago when they were starting out in the, in the entertainment industry. So, you know, did did you feel like you, you related to, to that experience as well? Cause there are, there are <laughs> definitely some parallels there.
2: Yeah. Well, I do have the distinction. I mean, Renee was definitely working in that time period the late 90s paula was working but in a diff- as a writer in a different in a different way and sarah really hadn't kind of she didn't break through until like sort of like mid-2000s and was really doing um i, I think more like uh you know like the cop not coffee house circuit but like smaller venue circuit building up as a singer songwriter at that time but i was really like in pop culture and entertainment yeah, in at the this late exact 90s. moment that the show yeah, is as depicting a te- in the, as, in a the <laughs> yes. yeah. as a teen, as a 19-year-old and a 20-year-old, like in that very thing that the show deals with. And I have a lot of personal feelings and experiences and watched a lot of people go through things first directly, firsthand. I went through a lot of things. That was part in part, what became so obvious like obvious to me as the show continued, what we were really, what it was really about. And I think that that speaks to the sneakiness, the subversiveness of Tina's comedy always, and the things that, the projects that she chooses to put her name on and, and develop with people. Because the logline is like, 90s, one-hit girl group tries to make a comeback in their 40s exactly as you say, like the issues that really inside of this, like ridiculous (laughs) joke, a minute joke, a joke, a 30 second comedy is about what it means to look back on your past and realize that maybe you weren't in as much control as you thought you were as a woman.
1: Was that your experience looking back on, on those early days? I mean, I think you probably did a lot of that when you were writing your book you know, I had like gone
2: through the process. Yeah, they say writing your memoir, writing your memoir is like uh, doing like 10 years of therapy in the in the time it takes you to write it if you really do it right.
1: Is that how you felt for you?
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was intense. Although I also had done 10 years of therapy. So
1: (laughs) coming up, busy looks back on her breakout role on freaks and geeks and reacts to the news
0: Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com/work. shopify.com/work. A lot can happen in the next 3 years, like a chatbot maybe your new best friend, but what won't change? Needing health insurance.
1: If you're enjoying this episode and want to hear more, please hit subscribe. There are so many other great conversations to check out, including with some of my other favorite female late-night hosts, Samantha B. and Chelsea Handler. By subscribing to The Last Laugh, you can listen to those episodes and everything else from our free archive, and you'll be the first to hear new episodes when they drop every Tuesday. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how much you love the show and who you want to hear next. Now, back to Busy Phillips. Well, I do want to talk a little bit about Freaks and Geeks, which is sort of where you were in this, you know, 20 years ago when in the time period that the show is depicting in the past, because it, it really is one of my, you know, all time favorite shows and I just had Paul Feig on a few uh, weeks ago and we were talking a lot about it but I'm curious how you think about that show now because you're kind of talking about how you rethought some of those early times and do you do you think about it differently now than you did maybe when it was happening or in the years you know following
2: freaks and geeks is is sort of less the culprit (laughs) the Mm. show itself and the and the people that ran it It was it's more really it was more really the the industry at large. And and in fact, I do think that Paul and Judd tried in their way to like from uh, a lot of the sort of insidious nature of the messaging that gets sent to young, young women, teen girls on network television shows because I do remember Paul talking to us about like no, I just don't want don't want you guys to think that there are any diets in your life, you know, like some mm-hmm. like so he was just in yeah. his in his way, I mean he's you know he was I'm sure that was not the most comfortable thing for like a thirty two year old man <laughs> yeah. to be talking to these you know nineteen and like twenty one year old yeah
1: and it was fortunate that kind of the characters that the two of you were playing were not supposed to be like you know, these, you know, perfect people. Well, sure, this, Matt, but also,
2: like, <laughs> that's fucked, too. I mean, I am, objectively speaking, like, very attractive. You know what I mean? I don't mean, no, I didn't and, mean, in, no, no, I didn't no, mean no. in looks. I meant in, in, the, saying,
1: in the characters that you, you know, sort of... No, 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 way... I know,
2: but I'm saying, like, think about that as a 19-year-old girl woman young person trying to break into Hollywood and like everyone's like but it's not you know but what's great is like you don't even have to work because it's just like you're just like a regular person yeah. and you're just but it was pla- supposed to
1: be very real is I guess of my point worse
2: yeah. and that is a hundred percent but like literally Linda found an article like a review of freaks and geeks and showed it to me when we were you know when it was first starting that was like there was a line like This isn't Dawson's Creek or the WB. (laughs) You won't find any pretty faces here. Oh, God. Was, like, the line, you know? And and that's not... I'm just... I mean... And I was sort of... You know, I was always sort of... That was the messaging that I was told for years and years was that, you know, I wasn't thin enough and I wasn't, like, traditionally pretty enough. I mean, like, I don't even... You know, when I got on Dawson's Creek, they there was this whole discussion about the moles on my neck and my face, and they tried to cover them with makeup. Like, it was a directive from the network, I guess. They wanted, they they found them offensive. I don't even, my skin offended them. I don't know. <laughs> but it was, like, so wild to me. I had, yeah, I had, like, a couple people in the industry tell me, like, have you ever considered having all those moles taken off of your... <laughs> neck. I was like, well, I think that giants, I, have you ever had them all removed? I think like a giant scar would probably it look might be worse. <laughs> yeah, it might be worse, but I mean, great tips. Thanks for helping me <laughs> break into this industry. You know, like the, so that, that messaging wasn't really coming from within the house on freaks and geeks necessarily, but it certainly was always just there. And it was understood by anyone who was paying attention. <laughs> I mean, who are they, you know? The great weirs. So call me a whore and a drug addict. Well, they didn't actually call you a whore and a drug addict. Well, basically, they did. I mean, I'm not just some whore, you know? I just can't take it that I have sex, you know? They're afraid some bad man's gonna come along and soil their perfect little daughter. Well, you do have sex. Well, yeah, with you. Yeah, and I'm a bad man. What the hell is that supposed to mean? I don't know. If I had some
1: daughter in high school, I wouldn't want some guy crawling all over her.
2: What the hell are you talking about?
1: I'm just saying, it's not like they don't have a point.
2: I mean, who wants their kid to have sex and do drugs? Nobody. You're a jerk. Hey, don't get mad at me.
1: I'm just trying to be rational.
2: Are you calling me irrational? Cause I'll tear your head off, Daniel. I'll tear it off and I'll throw it over that fence.
1: Hey, I'm not saying I don't love you. I like the way you are. Probably just scared the hell out of them. And how am I? You are a sex-crazed drug addict.
2: <laughs> Screw you.
1: Um, the, you know, I really, I don't want to dwell on the, uh, the story that you told about James Franco in the book because I know that got a lot of attention and you, you've been very clear about how you were not pleased with how much it overtook everything. This, the one thing I wanted to ask is just because this just happened recently, Seth Rogan's been on his book tour and he said for the first time in a way that he hasn't before, that he wouldn't work with James Franco again. And I I'm say, curious what you yeah, you made of that.
2: I mean, it's it's interesting. I don't know. They were super close, and they had a very tight relationship. And so I don't have any information. I mean, I'm going to say something now, whatever. Seth is married to, like, a very fucking smart woman. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think that, like, I think that he, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I can't speak to what... yeah. I, think I guess took- the
1: question is, were you surprised? Because I was surprised that he said he wouldn't work with, with James Franco again, just because he hadn't said that a year ago, two years ago.
2: Yeah. I'm so, su- I, I was, I guess I was surprised. I just, uh, I guess I was surprised. I just also though, I mean, to be honest with you, like, I don't know, I haven't spent my days doing deep dives into the, like, into what, it what it all was. Like, I, I mean, and I, didn't, I didn't work with James past age 20. So, you know, I can't, I can only speak to the horrible behavior I, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I experienced. Yeah. Well, There's um, clearly been he... other
1: horrible, horrible behavior that that's happened according to right. you know, other and people who've worked with them.
2: Sure. I mean, that seems very believable. I mean, and, and not like, yeah, I, I don't know. I, it's hard for me to, I can't speculate on their friendship or what, you know, I mean, I wouldn't want to work with someone who has, you know, multiple allegations of predatory behavior. I wouldn't want to work with someone who I wouldn't want to. Yeah, yeah. So, um, in fact, I won't.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, and I guess the other question is, do you find it encouraging in the sense that, you know, there's been all this, you know, talk about the, the Me Too reckoning and that things are really changing? And I think there's some skepticism you know, across the board, whether that's true or not, how do you see it? Do you feel like things are actually changing in Hollywood?
2: I don't know. I mean, I really haven't been, I'm not, uh, again, I think at this point, Matt, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not at risk. I had turned 42 next week. I'm an almost 42-year-old. Happy birthday. Thing. (laughs) Woman who wrote a book where I named names of like the people who were fucking dicks to me. So I don't think that I'm the person to ask about whether the industry has changed Mm -hmm. because I would assume that people are going to be smart enough to not, like, fuck with me. But also, I'm not, you know, I'm not like an ingenue coming onto the scene, like, wanting to, or, you know, a young woman coming onto the scene wanting to work and make it happen and, and like, being given bad... I don't know. I don't know. The the predators, I'm sure, still exist, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And a... A few of the big ones have been rooted out, thank God. But whether there's like a reckoning, I don't know. Yeah. I still think it's interesting. Like, I still think that young actresses get body shamed a lot. I read an interview with a young actress, like, not that long ago, who's on a popular show. And I was like floored by what she was saying about her, the way that she, the wardrobe fittings and all this stuff. And I was like, that was what it was like for me 20 years ago. What the fuck? Like, that's that's insane. Yeah. I So, you know, in that respect, like, I don't that doesn't feel like it's changed that much. Um, I think people are aware. I do think that there is. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess I do think that I've seen just in terms of yeah things on in like the trades or whatever that, um, you know, it does seem like on shows and stuff where a lot of this behavior men in the past would be kind of like overlooked, that it feels like it's maybe more being called out and taken care of. And by taking care of, I mean, like, firing them <laughs> from yeah. the shows.
1: No, and it's interesting to see how it's even, you know, expanded into the kind of abusive, you know, both like verbal and, and even even just verbal abusive behavior, like with someone like Scott Rudin, you know, recently, where that was sort of seemed like a new... Step in the in the Me Too movement where it's it can where that behavior, which was even more normalized, is now being called out and acknowledged as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, I look, I think that the myth of the creative genius, the tortured creative genius has been totally Per, like it has permeated the culture who, of Hollywood. who can do
1: whatever he wants and get away with it. And yeah, and but only him. Forgiven. Cause yeah. if
2: it's a, she, first of all, yeah, he, and then forget it. Cause it's like, you know, you, Deborah Winger or whatever. And you can, you know, <laughs> you get like called crazy and kicked out. Um, I, I mean, cause the truth is it's not like I said earlier about the, about the talk show and, and hiring people, uh, It's not rocket science. And like, again, <laughs> there are brilliant people. Tina Fey does not carry a big stick or, you know, she does talk softly, not walk softly, but she does talk softly. Did you know that she's a quiet? She's, talker. A, she's a
1: quiet talker. Um, Yeah, I, I could I could see that. But she yeah, but she is. Uh, but she's yeah. a, she's
2: like lovely to work. With and work mm-hmm. for
1: yeah, you've worked with her a lot now. I mean, because she was involved in your talk show, you did um, some Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and the then pilot. I did a pilot. Mm-hmm. What was that experience like doing the uh, doing the the pilot that that sadly didn't make it?
2: That was the that was when I was like, I'm done. I don't want to act anymore. It was really? just like enough. Yeah, when uh-huh, it when it didn't 100%. go. Yeah, I just was like, this is a what is this business? This is insane. <laughs> what I can't was the
1: uh, What was the concept or or idea behind that show?
2: Um, Luke Del Turdici was the like writer showrunner um, who I've weirdly known since I was like 18 because he went to Wesleyan with my best friend Emily from childhood. So Luke and he's a great like he's so funny and you know, he's been on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I think for years. Right. He was on 30 Rock with Tina. That's how they knew each other. Um, so he created the show that was about two sisters played by me and Casey Wilson Essentially, from like also a fa- genius, yeah, and also sisters. It was nuts. Um, from a, essentially from a family of grifters, and our dad was Bradley Whitford,
1: who fantastic.
2: We unwittingly, <laughs> and and Casey's character is like not really a grifter, and my character is sort of like not really. Well, well, her her character was like yes, like straight. She was like the straight straight one, and uh, and my character was like kind of a little dirt baggy, but not, but doing our best. And, uh, but then we found ourselves. Yeah. We, we like rescued children in a, I mean, it was like, it's like, it was like insane. It was funny. (laughs) We, we found ourselves like at the center of a tragedy that we were the heroes of, but, you know, accidentally the heroes of, and then I'm trying to convince her to use it to our advantage. And she's like, I'm not going to do it. And then our dad shows up and like, obviously he's got a plan. So it was fun and great and everybody loved it and uh, tested through the roof. I don't know, but whatever. They didn't pick it up. and I was pumped. I was really sad.
1: Yeah. I could imagine you put so much into something like that. And then for it to just no one ever get to see it. I can't imagine what that feels like
2: well it sucks but it also was like that's when i was like what what this makes no sense it's like if i can't get a tv show on with me and casey and bradley whitford and tina and like what is happening there's no justice in this world matt that's what i thought um anyway i just was like i can't i can't take it anymore so then
1: then, given that experience when she came to you with girls five eva were you a little nervous like maybe I'm going to put myself into this one and that's not going to work out either. They were already doing it as a series.
2: I was already picked up, but also, Matt, I don't know if you've been around for the last year and a half, <laughs> but all bets are off. And I do think that also, like, you know, having done my talk show and and then what I had been working on pre-pandemic, like, I I think I just was like, I this is, first of all, feels too good to be true, but secondly, like... Yeah, let's just do it. Yeah, I'm just, I'd love to work
1: right now. <laughs> I do love that uh that Tina's daughter plays your daughter Stevia in the in the show. That's pretty special. I
2: know. You have to meet Stevia, but don't touch her! She's not vaccinated! Oh
1: my god, you guys, this new Brody Jenner's Ex-Wife's Poutgasm palette has
2: me super sad-faced that I only have one mouth. Stevia! Well, that take was ruined! Oh, I'm so sorry, baby. Um, Mommy's been done. brought you something to unbox. Wow, I thought you were like four tops, because time is fast now. <laughs> Thank you, but if you want me
1: to show your product on camera, you really need to go through my reps. Yeah.
2: <gasps> Lady Boss! You know what? That was a COVID situation as well because, um, well, first of all, she wanted Penelope wanted to audition, and, you know, Tina and Jeff decided that she was allowed to audition. She put herself on tape. But then they were going to hire, I guess, uh, another little girl who's like a professional actor child. I guess she was, didn't live in New York and had to come in from, I think it was Michigan and, or like had been in Michigan for, I I don't even know the full story, but basically because of the quarantining at the time, they were like, well, we just can't make this work. Like it's too, the dates won't work. So Tina was like, what do you think? Should I just like Penelope? would you be okay if Penelope, I was like, Tina, first of all, I would feel better if Penelope does it. <laughs> yeah. Like, cause it was sort of still peak COVID times.
1: Yeah. Being around a strange, strange child is uh, nerve wracking.
2: Well, I don't, everything was nerve wracking, <laughs> yeah. but also, yeah. But also like, I was so thrilled. Like Penelope yeah. was amazing. And she's, she's great. So cute. Yeah. yeah. She's cute. <laughs> um, I want more Stevia next yeah. next season.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask so now that there's officially a, a season 2, do you have sort of hopes and dreams for for summer and season 2?
2: I don't know. I mean, listen, Meredith is really steering this ship and she's such a genius. I'm so excited to see the things that she has planned, especially cuz we kind of left on that almost like cliffhangery last line that you know that Gloria says. So, I'm very curious to hear what, what Mara's ideas are. I
1: was reading an interview with you and you said people always want to talk to you about white chicks. Why is that?
2: Because they love that movie.
1: (laughs) (laughs) My my actual question is what's something that you've done that you never get asked about that you, that you're surprised that, that never comes up in interviews.
2: I have no idea. (laughs) I feel like people ask me about all the things.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: People dig deep, Matt. You know what I mean? That's
1: what we're trying to do.
2: That's what they try to do. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think people they they really their research. I don't know. I, I also have been lucky. I've been, you know, a part of so many amazing things and projects and and the things that weren't so amazing. It's like that we don't need to talk about that. Like we're we're good to just move on.
1: Do you feel like this the experience on this show kind of renewed your desire to act and, and no. be part of the business?
2: No. I want to do this show for the rest of eternity, but no, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I wrote uh I have a pilot at a studio that I sold pre-pandemic. Actually, like it's based on a book. And um, so I so I wrote the pilot with the woman who wrote the book like we wrote it we sold it together and wrote it and I wrote it for myself to star in but that's like that's yeah that's it like I I want to I I really I would do anything like if Danny McBride asked me I'm just really like conditions must be perfect for me so I I really love the thing that the pilot that we that we have but for myself but um I also would be fine if somebody else did it too. Like I just I don't have that thing that I used to have when I was younger. If anything, it's like I don't know. I want to be less in front.
1: <laughs> yeah, more. Behind it the always scenes. just like
2: well, not more behind the scenes. Like I've always written, and I, I, you know, I, I would, I, I probably want to continue doing that. I there's I just have other stuff I want to do. Um, if the world keeps turning and we keep and we keep working. And some of it's, yeah, some of it's writing and some of it's directing. I wouldn't mind revisiting some sort of talk show. I really enjoy doing the podcast, but, you know, I'm, I'll probably end up being like a momager who even knows.
1: <laughs> Before we go, uh, I want to do a our, our really quick speed round, which is this show is called The Last Laugh. So this is the first laugh. And I want to start with the, what's the first piece of comedy that you remember really making you laugh as a kid?
2: Well, I wish I'd had this question before. I'm so bad at these, like, fast. <laughs> what's, what's something that you, from
1: your, you know, either from your childhood or when you were younger that you just thought was, was really funny?
2: Um, okay, the very first thing, I mean, this is, like, deep, very first thing. In Muppets Take Manhattan, Joan Rivers Yes. and Piggy, Miss Piggy, <laughs> end up working the makeup counter together.
1: Oh, that's a great one, yeah.
2: It was, to me, the funniest <laughs> thing that I had ever seen in my life. It was like, first of all, there was no one to me more glamorous than Miss Piggy except for Joan Rivers in that thing. Like Joan Rivers to me as a, I was like a little, little kid. And that was my favorite movie. I loved it so much. And she just was so glamorous in her voice and like just all of I'm not going to I'm not doing a Joan Rivers impression, by the way, that was not a Joan (laughs) Rivers impression. I just was like just the raspiness in her voice and her shiny, shiny red lipstick. And then and then she does this whole thing and she's drawing on Miss Piggy's face with the makeup. And it was like the crazy and they're like just going back and forth, like making each other laugh hysterically. And I loved that scene so, <laughs> so much. I loved Muppets take Manhattan that actually that is the answer, I guess. That was my first did thing you ever when I was did you kid. ever
1: get to meet or work with Joan Rivers?:
2: I did get to meet Joan Rivers. I did fashion police just so I could meet her.
1: What did it live up to your expectations?
2: Yeah, she was amazing. She was delightful and um and actually, Casey St Ange, my co-host and my showrunner from Busy Tonight, worked with Joan a, a fair amount and would write stuff. her and they were friends (laughs) and actually this is a weird long story but we just had this psychic medium woman on our podcast we just interviewed her because well she did like a reading for us and joan came through
1: oh wow look at that
2: (laughs) (laughs) wild um do
1: you remember the first laugh that you got um performing it could be performing on stage when you were younger in an audition um on a set do you remember the first time that that something you did really made other people laugh?
2: Yeah, I had a. Um, I was always making people laugh, like when I was a kid, like little little. But the first time when I was on stage and I made people laugh, I think I was in second grade and it was the talent show, and I did this poem by a Canadian, like children's poet and song guy. I can't remember his name now, and uh, and I did like the characters in the poem. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I, like, acted (laughs) it out. It was, like, a very bizarre... It's very advanced for second grade. It was... Listen, she's always been ahead of her time. (laughs) And I was switching between, like, this monster character and a little girl. And I had a quick change on stage, like, during the... Like, where I would put this, like, weird hat on to be the monster. And the first time I did it, like, it was, like, erupted in (laughs) laughter. And I remember thinking, like, is this good? Is this bad? I don't know (laughs) what's happening, but it was good. Yeah. It was meant to be funny and entertaining. So,
1: <laughs> um, and then the, the final question is What's the last piece of comedy that made you laugh really hard? Something you've seen recently that you thought was really funny,
2: other than Girls 5FI? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so
1: it's always good to you know say your sure, own sure. thing, but if you want to shout out anyone else, you this is your opportunity. No, no, no,
2: sure, sure, sure. I have been really enjoying hacks and like everybody else, so funny, it's so funny. But there was like, what was it? She made me laugh so hard. I can't remember what it was. I think it's in the episode where they, she gets, she goes to get surgery, her eyes done, but there was something in that that made me laugh. So, so hard. I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember exactly what it was, but, yeah, but
1: that shows that great. show,
2: that show's great. But a lot of times like shows like hacks to me are not, it's not like an LOL. You know what I mean? It's, it's like a, like that's funny. Um, that's so smart. That's so funny. That's funny. Yeah, you chuckle. Yeah, but yeah. there was one thing in that in that <laughs> particular episode where I like truly shrieked.
1: Yeah, and Girls Five Eva is definitely LOL funny. So if anyone has not seen it,
2: Paula makes I me laugh highly, harder than anyone. Highly any... recommend it. Like yeah, Paula Powell true. makes me laugh harder than anyone ever. Like I just. Just being around her always is my favorite any, thing. Any
1: very, any very short, uh, real-life Paula Pell moment that you can share that that really made you laugh?
2: <laughs> <laughs> She's just, no, I just fucking love her. She just, the way she says everything is, is like just pure <laughs> comedy. But in spe- specific, we talked about it a lot, but it is, it's, I'm not a part of it, but that New York Lonely Boy, when she gives that speech in the car, about what a New York lonely <laughs> boy is like it kills me every time every time i've seen it i'm just like she's a genius i love her so yeah, much
1: yeah unbelievable um,
2: yeah really good
1: well i can't wait for season 2 this has been great thank you so much for for talking with me for so long and um thanks, Matt. and yeah i've been a fan of yours for such a long time so this was a uh, this is really fun
2: thanks so much it's just another new york home.
1: Thank you so much to Busy Phillips for sharing so much of herself on this week's show. Girls 5 Eva is streaming now on Peacock, and you can subscribe to her podcast, Busy Phillips is doing her best, wherever you get your podcasts. It's really great. You should definitely check it out. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at thedailybeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude. You can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week.